0: Well, good morning, Crossing Church, or should I say good evening, as uh, it's Saturday evening that uh, we are recording this in an effort to try to avoid some of the uh, technical difficulties that we encountered last week. And so uh, we are here uh, trying to get this uh, out to you by tomorrow morning. And uh, since I have to pretend that you are all here as I'm preaching to you, you all get to pretend that this is live. So uh, we welcome you all, and we're excited to be able to share the Word with you this morning. Um, You know, let me be honest, whenever uh, we were first confronted with the possibility of having to cancel our services, um, I didn't want to do this whole virtual church thing. I thought, this is so impersonal. Frankly, it's incredibly weird to be preaching to an empty room, my first time doing this. And I just thought, well, we just need to focus on other avenues, other ways to connect with people through small groups and and one-on-one things. Um... But uh, as, as we began to discuss what we were going to do, as it became very apparent that we were going to have to cancel our services for a significant period of time, the one thing that all of us pastors agreed on was that we would have to fight for community throughout this season. And we were going to have to stay connected as a church body. And uh, as... Last week was uh, preparing to launch the, uh, the virtual sermon for the first time as uh, we gathered on, on, in, our, in our homes and people began to join the live chat. I began to see people lament that we couldn't be together. I saw others cracking jokes and it, it was just this very real moment where you could see just that, that, that there was genuine community and spiritual unity that was happening even though we were not able to be in the same room. And so this is just one way that we can continue to stay connected as a people and to be able to hear from God's Word together. And so it is my joy to be able to preach this sermon, even amidst all the awkwardness and the weirdness uh, that it is to do this uh, into a video camera. But uh, anyway, we do have a, a few announcements that we want to keep you all updated on and uh, make you uh, uh, make you aware of as uh, expected. There were a few bursts that, were, that, uh, that came about in the last couple weeks, and so uh, we want to say a big congratulations to Matt and Katie Drees on the birth of their uh, first boy, little Joseph Philip, Josiah Philip. I'm sorry, and so uh, congratulations to Matt and Katie, and then uh, Lydia Kellum also gave birth to uh, their first son, little Jackson Adam. Justin did absolutely nothing uh, to contribute to that, so good work, Lydia, and so regardless of what Justin tells you, it was all Lydia, and so congratulations to Justin and Lydia on that. We also had a marriage in our church community, one that came much sooner than uh, was expected amidst all the cancellations of venues and gatherings. Uh, Sam and Shay were married a couple weeks ago in a small family wedding, and so we say a big congratulations to Sam and Shay. Uh, We want to make you guys uh, continue just to pump the realm as the avenue of communication throughout the church body. It's been amazing to see everybody jump on there and be able to connect and share requests and comments and stay connected. So I think we're starting to see the fruit of of that platform for us as a church community. And so we're thankful for that. If you do not have a Realm account, please get on the Realm so that you can stay connected with uh, any updates and just be a part of the community and, and everything that's going on. Uh, We also, just during this time as pastors, have had a desire and a burden to be able to share with you all some resources. And so uh, Daniel and the other pastors put together a, a list of resources that is posted on our website. It was also sent out on the realm and on there as everyone is uh, cooped up in their homes and, and trying to find uh, things to do with their time. We want this to be a time of intentionality. And so there's some great resources for you to, to feast on, um, to be able to feed your soul and to be able to, to spend some time in the word together as, as families. And so we would just point you to those resources, encourage you to, uh, to uh, take this time and and, uh, redeem it in profitable ways. And so hopefully those resources can be an encouragement to you. And we would continue to ask you all just to to make needs known that are around you, whether whether they're personal needs or those that you hear of in your community and neighborhoods. We want to be a a church that that is ready and willing to meet the needs of those around us, first and foremost within our church body and then beyond ourselves into our our communities and our neighborhoods. And so we want to, to be aware of those things so that we can know how to come together as a church to be able to meet those needs. And so uh, there is a, a form online on the website that you can, uh, that you can uh, put needs uh, on there and send those to us. So we would invite you to do that. We'd also encourage you to continue to give during this time. Uh, you can give online. You could send a check to the church Um, Through the Realm platform, there's also uh, an avenue for giving on there as well. And so we would encourage you to do that, to give towards uh, the resources that that we're going to need to be able to care for others as well through the benevolence funds that we have available. So we would encourage you guys to remain faithful uh, in in your giving regularly. And so, uh, again, it's just my joy to be able to uh, be here and be able to share with you from God's Word. And originally, this was supposed to be our fifth Sunday, which was our, scheduled to be our family-integrated service. And uh, it's still going to be a family-integrated service, except that I have it a little easier here with no children, and you all at home get to be permanently integrated with your kids. So have fun with that. And uh, uh, so today was actually planned to take a break and a hiatus from our First Peter Sermon series. And so we're going to take a break today and over the next few weeks as next week we're going to, we're going to be heading into Palm Sunday and then after that even into Easter. And then after that, we originally had planned to celebrate our 10 year anniversary as a church. And so this year around Easter marks our 10 years of, of, of the time from which the crossing was founded. And so it was a great time for us just to be able to, to celebrate, so we were super excited to be able to do these things together, and it was going to be an amazing month, but God had other plans for us, and so uh, that party for our celebration is going to be postponed to a much later date, and so over the next few weeks, we're going to uh, shift away from our First Peter series and uh, be preaching in different passages, and then we will return back to First Peter here at the end of April. And so for me, as I, as I begin to reflect and think on, on, on a word that I could share this week, God just put it on my heart, a passage from the book of Hebrews, and it's in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25. Hebrews ten, nineteen through 25. And so uh, if you will stand with me, actually I don't care if you stand, you can continue to lounge at home and uh, just uh, give attention to the reading of God's Word here together. Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25 says this, it says, therefore brothers, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me pray for our time. Father, we come to you. We come to hear from your word. So I pray that you would use this time, that you would use this video in a season of great uncertainty. Let us behold Jesus together. Let us remember and reflect and recognize in fresh ways what he has done for us, that he has secured us access to come to you and call out to you, even in a time of fear and unknown. So I pray that you would allow your word to go forth, to challenge us, to encourage us today. And let us worship You because You are worthy and You deserve all of our praise. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. You know, it is crazy how quickly things have changed over the last few weeks. As our, our church community, our city, our state, our country, and really even the world has been thrust suddenly into this time of great uncertainty. And one thing that we have found in this time and in this season is that almost nobody responds to something like this in the same way. And what we've seen is that there is actually this, this response spectrum that is out there, and then we all fall in there in some way. On one end of that spectrum, we have those who you might call over-responders. You know, these might be those who, who are characterized by those who are paranoid that this virus is on every surface. And that the world is on the brink of absolute collapse. And so the only means of protection to get through this time is to collect as much toilet paper as possible. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have the under-responders. You know, these are those crowds of uh, college students still partying on spring break down at the beaches, going about life like nothing's happened saying kind of, well, what's the big deal? We all get sick from time to time. Everybody just needs to calm down and relax. We don't need to blow up our economy over this. And then right in the middle, you might have those who read the latest news, follow the instructions from the local government. They trust those that are leading us through this, that that they're going to help get us through it, that they're making good decisions. And we just are going to kind of follow the, the, the information that's given to us. And so somewhere on that spectrum, all of us land, and none of us respond to these things that happen in life in the same way. And most of us actually feel justified in our responses. And if we're honest, we're all kind of battling for some sense of of control or just um, stability through a great time of uncertainty. But we all feel like we're kind of doing the best that we can do, right? We're We're trying to make good decisions. If you're hoarding rice and beans... And then you think that others are being vastly underprepared. And if you just keep waiting for stores to restock and can't even fathom where people are putting all of this stuff that they're getting, and you're just kind of sitting back and you'll get to the store eventually, you think that you are are living with a very clear level head. All of us think that we we have a good response to these things. And as a pastor, I'm, I'm constantly asking, how should we encourage people to respond to something like this? What should we say? How should should we challenge and encourage people to to respond to this? Like, we're not viral experts. You know, when when I went to seminary, they, they actually didn't teach a class on how to pastor through a pandemic. So we have no idea what we're doing, and I don't know if anybody does. And so the words that I say in this sermon are not to encourage you on how many weeks of food you need to have prepared. It might be smart and wise to have some food stocked up. My goal is not to encourage you on, on how much social interaction to have, if, if any at all, and just to stay away from everybody. But my desire as we approach this text is to look to Scripture and see how the Scripture tells us that we must respond as the new covenant people of God, especially in a time like this, But how we're called to respond from this passage is not merely just for this time during this pandemic, but this is really how we should approach all seasons of life. So I want to dive into this text, and I know that we are just kind of parachuting right into the end of this book of Hebrews, and we don't have time to kind of lay out the whole book, but this really is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It is just filled with such rich, beautiful language rooted in the Old Testament that just lifts up and, and exalts Christ as, as supreme, that he's supreme above all things and it challenges us to, to remain true to him, to go all in with Jesus. And ultimately the kind of the, the theme of the whole book could be summarized in, in the statement that because Jesus is better than anything else, remain faithful to him. And the writer lays out this extended argument to show the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus, that He's better than angels, He's better than Moses, He's better than the promised land, He's he's better than the priests. And here, as chapter 10 defends, He offers a better sacrifice than all those in the Old Testament, because He is the ultimate and final sacrifice. And this book is filled with multiple warnings, calling us not to abandon our faith, but to remain true to Jesus. Jesus. And here in this passage, we have three things that the writer calls on us to do. Three responses that we can have in this time of uncertainty. And they're laid out very clearly in these three let us statements throughout the passage. And so we have just very clearly three points that we're going to walk through. And I've I've tried to write these in COVID-19 terms this morning. So point number one, the first challenge for us is... As you live in isolation, take time to draw near to God. As you live in isolation, take time to draw near to God. This passage begins by establishing the basis for his first exhortation. He gives this what what is a summary statement of all the, the theological defense that he's just laid out in the first half of the chapter. And what he says the basis for us to be able to draw near is is identified as the confidence that we should have to enter the holy place. And so the natural question is, what is this holy place that he references? And really, what is it that we're called to draw near to? And this charge of drawing near is a favorite statement of the writer of Hebrews. It's found throughout the book. In chapter 4, verse 16, it says, "...let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace." so that we can find help in our time of need. In chapter 7.25, it says that He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And in 10.22, here, He says, Let us draw near with a true heart. So as we're called to draw near, he's calling us again to come before the presence of God. But why is it that we can be confident to approach this God? And he tells us, he says that we have confidence by the blood of Jesus. Again, he restates it by by the new and living way that's been opened through the curtain, that is his flesh. It's kind of strange. Why why does he bring up a curtain? What's he talking about here? If you're familiar with your Old Testament, then you likely recognize this as a reference to the temple. You see, throughout the Old Testament, there's this image of a barrier that stands between sinful humanity and a holy God. There's a great children's book that I love reading with my kids. It's called The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. And in this book, this simple children's book, the writer begins by just laying out this imagery of Eden. This beautiful garden in which, which humanity dwells with God. They live with God in this perfect place. And as the writer said, it's a place in which there is nothing ever bad and nothing ever sad. But as they live there, the people do a terrible thing and they, they no longer want to have God as the authority over them. And so they rebel against God and they sin against God. And they are cast from the garden. And what does God do then to keep the people from returning to the garden? Well, as the book says, it says that God put some warrior angels in front of the garden. It says that the angels were like a big keep out sign. The book goes on. And it says that God wanted His people to remember something. They, he wanted them to remember that it's wonderful to live with Him, but because of their sin, they can't come into His presence. But God wanted to to show them this reality, and so He gave them the temple. He told them to build this special building. And in the middle of the temple was this very special place, this holy place. And in there, there was this place called the Holy of Holies, the very place in which God's presence dwelt. But as they constructed the temple... The book reads that God told the people to put a big curtain around this wonderful place. The curtain had pictures of warrior angels on it, and it again was a big keep-out sign. And then for hundreds of years in the temple, this curtain stood there as a constant reminder that the sinfulness of, of, of man keeps them from coming into the presence of God. And only once every year, the high priest could enter behind that curtain on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But it had to be done every year. And that curtain remained there. And the book goes on to to tell of this child that comes along. God's own Son comes in the person of Jesus, and He came with a plan. And ultimately, that plan culminated when He was hung on a cross. And as the children's book reads, it says, On the cross, Jesus took our sin all the bad things we do, and all the sad things they cause. Jesus took them all from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain tore. It was as if God had ripped up the keep out sign. God's wonderful place is open again. And because Jesus died, Jesus died says that we can then go in. And it's a great little children's story that really unpacks the theme of the whole Bible, of God making a way for us to be reunited into God's presence. And what the writer of Hebrews is referencing is what is found in the Gospels when Jesus hung on the cross and he gave up his last breath. It says that that curtain in the temple was torn into two pieces from top to bottom. It was through the tearing of Jesus' own flesh that the way into God's presence was made. And so because of the priestly work of Jesus, His ultimate sacrifice for us, we have permanent and immediate access to God. And this gets unpacked throughout the book of Hebrews in this beautiful imagery. We have constant, always available access into God's presence. Isn't that an amazing truth and a reality to, to experience right now? Even in a time when we're confronted with how much we take for granted the availability of just basic resources? Like, who would have ever thought that going into the grocery store, it would be hard to find paper products? That we'd have a shortage of, of toilet paper? Like, it's crazy. We just, it, it, it should always be there. But not so that, that it will never happen with our ability to enter God's presence, to come before Him. It is eternally and always available because Jesus always stands as our eternal priest to make intercession for us, has provided a way for us to enter into God's presence. And so the simple encouragement of this text is: since we have this amazing privilege that is guaranteed for us, let us draw near. Let us come into God's presence. And here's the beautiful thing about this this call, this invitation, is that you can do this any time and in any place and in any circumstances of life. You don't need anything to mediate this for you. You don't need to come to a church gathering physically. You don't have to attend a life group meeting. Even in a time of isolation, you can come near and approach God as His children. And the writer encourages us how to approach God. He says that we approach God with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So how how do you do those things? I mean, ultimately what he's describing is a life that's been transformed by the gospel. He's saying you come with a true heart, you only receive a true heart as, as the, a new covenant people when, when, when the Holy Spirit removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. We have full assurance of faith, not because we have just such strong faith, but because we are assured that God has made a way to save us. And then again, he picks up this Old Testament imagery of, of sprinkling and washings. Now, these things are fulfilled in Christ where we don't have to keep repeating these Old Testament rituals, but they have been fulfilled in Christ as He washes us clean. And only as we come to God, based on the finished work of Jesus, we can have direct and full access into God's presence, to come to Him, to know Him, to seek His face. And so for us practically in this season. This is a charge for us to take advantage of this quarantine time. We may be prone to just give up and kind of resign ourselves to binging on Netflix, right? And there may be time for that. But maybe we just end up sleeping in, just trying to get through this time and just kind of wasting day after day, just worrying and trying to make it through. But a passage like this calls us to to seek God even in a time such as this. So let us be intentional with the times that we have to pursue a personal relationship with the God of the universe who has made for us a way to know Him. Use this time to get into the Word. It's a great time to start a new Bible reading plan, to start reading the Word with your family at the table, to to get on your knees before God. Aaron challenged us last week to to maybe pray through the the directory of people in this church. Take the time to to come before God together as a people. Let us draw near to God through Jesus. We have stable and full access that will never be removed. So even in this time of isolation, take time to draw near to God. The second challenge in this text is this. That although you may be confronted with uncertainty, hold fast to your confidence in God. Although this is a great time of uncertainty, we must hold fast to our confidence in God. One thing that a pandemic like this will certainly do is reveal to us where we place our hope. For some right now, their hope is ultimately in the medical community and the scientific community. Uh, fields out there to find a vaccine for this. We have to find a solution for this. We can do this and we will defeat this virus. That is our hope. For others, it's the government that they're going to lead us through this. Is this this stimulus package the best way to try to save and salvage some of our our economy right now? For others, when confronted with the fear of financial ruin, when maybe a business has to be shut down or a job is on the line, it shows us how much we ultimately place our hope in capitalism and our financial stability as a nation. You see, oftentimes as a pastor, as I preach, sometimes I feel like when 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 there's a call for perseverance and faithfulness, it's kind of in this real general sense of, of maybe potential difficulty and struggle that we may face. Certainly we all go through different things at times, but, but, but oftentimes it's just kind of this general appeal to faithfulness and, and be ready to, for difficulty. But right here, right now, this is, a, this is a time and a season in which we are confronted very vividly. Each and every one of us are being affected in some way, and we will see the ripples of this for, for months to come, and we don't even know uh, the full results and where this is going to take us. And so right now, in this moment, it's a call for us as a people, as a community, to hold fast to our hope in Christ. And so we're, at, we, we're called to ask, where is your hope? If you find yourself overwhelmed by fear, by anxiety, just overall just unsettled, well maybe that's a time for us just to take a heart check. Has our hope shifted a little bit and, and gotten on to other things that are actually starting to fall apart around us? Can we reestablish our hope only in Christ? And the writer of Hebrews tells us why we can remain confident in our hope. And it's because, as he, as he beautifully says, he says, "The one who made the promise is trustworthy. The one who made the promise to us is faithful." You see, our faithfulness to Christ is first rooted in God's faithfulness to us. Our faithfulness to Christ is first and foremost rooted in God's faithfulness to us. My wife has uh, one of those letter boards uh, on the wall as you enter our house. Uh, you know, it's those little little boards that has all those little plastic letters, and you can on there create any uh, kind of inspirational saying or um, witty remark or whatever and have it there displayed as a decoration in your home. Pretty popular right now. So we have one of those there. And uh, a few weeks back, my wife changed that out from like a Christmas one, and she, she changed it. And she just randomly, seemingly, put a, a, a quote on there by Charles Spurgeon, and it read this. It still does. It reads, The God who has been sufficient until now can be trusted to the end. And to be honest, when she first put that up, I thought, well, hey, that's a great little statement. That's that's good. Awesome. Way to go, Spurgeon. But I I honestly, it didn't really impact me much a number of weeks ago. Um, I would have said, yes, I believe that that's true, I agree with that statement but it didn't really affect me. I didn't even really take much notice of it. And it wasn't until all of these things started to happen in the world that I began to look at that sign in a much different way. And it took on a very very personal tone where I was confronted, and I am continually confronted every time I read that, do I actually believe this? Is this true? Has God been sufficient in my life? Has He been faithful to me? Can I trust Him even through this? And this passage is telling us and screaming out to us, hold fast, don't give up, because the God who has been sufficient until now can be trusted to the end. The one who made the promise is faithful and we know that because He sent His only Son. He took it all the, the, the burden and all of the risk on Himself and He made a way to assure for us an eternal hope. So we're called to hold fast. This will take fighting. It will take battling for this. Amidst the fear, amidst the anxiety, amidst the unknown, it doesn't just wipe away the fear that you may lose your job and the difficulties that we may face. But ultimately, it means that we as a community can be a community that, 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 that responds differently amidst a very challenging time. That we as a community can be a light to those around us who are, who are riddled by, by fear and, and just uncertainty. Can we be a people that have a steady hope even while we don't know what's going to happen? So in light of what God has done for us in Christ, we're called to hold fast to our confidence in God even when we're confronted with uncertainty. And we move to then the third and our final point within this passage. And it's this. My charge is, although you are quarantined, consider how to love and encourage others. Although you are quarantined, consider how to love and encourage others. This third challenge in this passage is to consider others, namely how you can stir them up to love and to good works. And immediately we're confronted with, well, well how do we do that? How do we provoke other people to love and to good deeds? Well, let's simply ask that in the, in the reverse, in the negative. How do you provoke someone to anger? My kids have been spending a whole lot more time together lately, and that means that uh, conflict has been breaking out from time to time pretty regularly as well. And uh, on more than one occasion, I've heard one of my sons cry out, he hit me. And when the accused child is then confronted and you ask, hey, why did you hit him? The response is almost always, well, he was mean to me first. He did something to me first that caused me to be mean to him. You see, we are very good at provoking each other to acts of negativity, of hostility towards each other. But the charge of this passage is that we should provoke each other to, to, to good deeds, to, to love And so just as negative actions towards others bring out hostility and anger, we can only draw out love and good works from others by first displaying love and goodness to those around us. And I love how the writer uses this word. It's often translated as consider. Or another way it can be translated is to think carefully. What we are called to here takes intentionality, And all the more during this season, right? We are going to have to stop and we are going to have to carefully consider and plan how we're going to do this. How are we going to care for people during this time? How are we going to show love towards others during this time? Because in this season, it would be very easy for us to simply retreat inwardly, to focus on our own selves, kind of isolate into our own little corners, to shrink back, Because, of course, we we can't get together. We can't hardly even go out of our homes. We can't spend time with people. So I'm just going to kind of, you know, button it up here and and, and keep myself protected and kind of guard my own family and my own space and just kind of get through this time. But the charge here is to stop and to, to think and to take the time to consider what are the ways that we can be creative, and how can we reach out to those who are around us to show love and goodness to those in this world who are, who are facing difficulty and struggle and a lot of fear. And the writer then gives us a clue on how to do this. When he says in verse 25, he says, not forsaking the gathering of yourselves, and I can imagine many of you are thinking, well, how's he going to handle this one amidst all of this? So does this verse call us to ignore the uh, orders that have been put in place over us right now? I'm going to say n- no. I don't believe that it does. And here's my argument. The verse says, don't forsake gathering together, but it says encourage one another daily. You see, he doesn't say don't forsake gathering, but instead gather regularly. No, he says He emphasizes the primary purpose of the gathering. It's not as though merely gathering together does anything, but the gathering is for the purpose of encouraging one another in our faith. And certainly for the original audience, they would have to come together and and, and have face to face interaction and gather regularly for this to really be accomplished. But for us, we still have the means to encourage one another even though we have a season in which our in-person relationships are suspended. So how will you consider, how will you think carefully of one another and how you can encourage each other during this time? For many of us, the primary way that we can do this is is in our very own homes. With our families and maybe our, our roommates. Maybe it's with your spouse your kids or your parents. Maybe there's ways to encourage just those in your neighborhood. This, this is an amazing time where people are actually out and about and they're, they're on the street. you got to stay away from a distance, but it may be simply introducing yourself from a good six-foot gap and just getting to know the people on your street, offering care and support if they're ne- in need of anything. Maybe there's, there's a time that you can just get together and encourage one another in your life group. I know many of our life groups have been doing this Zoom life group meeting. And let's be honest, it's not ideal. It's weird and it's awkward. And uh, you know, our group, we had 12 to 15 screens on there and people are trying to talk and you hear background noise and, and you can't hear everybody and somebody's glitching and it's, it's less than ideal. But at the same time, It's so good to see each other's faces, just to check in, how are you doing, hear a word of encouragement. We need to embrace even the difficulty and the less than ideal circumstances that we we live in and be creative on how we can be dedicated to one another to encourage one another because you have no idea how much maybe that Zoom interaction might mean to someone. How can we serve those in our community I was so encouraged by uh, the response from, from many uh, ladies and others who, who were uh, presented with this idea of, of, of sewing masks for those in need, as there's this great shortage, and there, there's multiple uh, individuals who are, who are starting to try to sew these masks and be able to deliver them to the nursing homes and other, other places where, where these workers need to be protected, and so, so they're, they're offering them these masks. And just a a simple way that who would have ever thought that that would be such a significant act of love towards someone? And there is a variety of ways in which we as a community, as individuals, can encourage one another even in this season. But it starts, first and foremost, with us looking out past ourselves. We have to get our eyes just off of merely ourselves and we have to look out beyond ourselves. And when confronted with a passage like this, we can oftentimes maybe respond with, yeah, I I really wish somebody would come along and encourage me. But the charge of this passage is not to wait for others to reach out to you, but it is for us to take the initiative and reach out to others. What can you do for those around you that that, that you wish to be done for you? you? How can you show that to others? Maybe it's a simple text. Maybe it's just a phone call to check in. Maybe it's just getting on your knees and saying a prayer for those in your life group and in in, in your neighborhood. Maybe it's dropping off just a a gift to someone on your street. There's so many different ways that we can be creative and we can be intentional during this time rather than just simply retreat. And the passage tells us that we should do this all the more as we see the day drawing near. The day that's referred to here in verse 25 is that great eschatological return of Christ. And it's the reality that we believe that there is a day coming that should motivate us right now. There is a day coming in which Christ will come and make all things right, and that should motivate us to love and persevere even now. Christ will come and make all wrongs right. Or as... J.R.R. Tolkien said all the sad things will become untrue even viruses so in light of that we press on as a people it's going to take renewed effort it's going to take renewed thought But we were never called to live in complete isolation from one another. This has been our our, our call as a church from day one. We are called to live in gospel community with each other and to be a community of light to those around us. This ultimately is love, live, legacy just in a new package. And let's not forget that. We know how to do this. Let's not forget what Christ has done Let's not forget the privileges that have been won on our behalf. The next section of this passage, which we are not going to cover, is a firm warning against turning away from your faith. And if you have time, I'd encourage you to maybe read all of chapter 10 today. It's a sobering reminder for us, but I love how the chapter ends when it says this. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere, those who preserve their souls. So let us not shrink back in this time, but let us draw near to God even in a time of isolation. Let us hold fast our confidence in God even in a time of great uncertainty. And let us consider one another even though we're in a season of quarantine. We can do this as a people, not because we are so great and we are so strong, but ultimately because of what is laid out in this chapter of Hebrews chapter 10. When it says this, says that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until His enemies should be made His footstool. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. God is still at work in our lives. This virus did not take God by surprise. He still has has a work for the crossing church to do in this season. So let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider one another. Let's pray to God and ask Him to help us to be able to do this. Father, we need Your help. We need Your help in in, in a time of uncertainty, a time of fear, a time of unknown. Help us to remember these things, to look to Jesus, to remember His sacrifice for sins, for our sin that that stood between us and You, that through His sacrifice now has made us a way to be reunited with our Father. Father, Let us not forget that. Let us take advantage. Let us confidently come to You daily to seek Your face, to know You in our lives and in that pursuit. Let us have an established and firm hope. And let us then go out and and, and consider how we can love and care for those around us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This time, as we always do, I encourage you if you have elements with you in your different places. We want to take communion together. In Hebrews 10, it says this. It says that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And that's what we do every week when we we take communion together is we remember that reality. We point ourselves and each other to that beautiful Beautiful sacrifice of Christ that He gave on our behalf to make a way for us to enter the presence of God. And so we take these elements in remembrance of what Christ has done for us and in our dependence and declaration of our faith and our confidence in Him. So let's take them now. As we close, let me just say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a great Sunday.